Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Good morning, everyone. I was very thankful for Austin's announcement regarding the uh, white elephant. <clears throat> Several years ago, and in this church, we had a white elephant exchange. And it was all married couples. So, in a, just in a brief thing, what happened is they took it literally, whatever was a white elephant they didn't want, they brought. So, so that night, as some of the gifts were being opened, one of them was half-burned candles. Ooh, yeah. So, there were several other things that came along, and then suddenly there was some underwear. And I'm going, oh, man, okay. So this one really went downhill bad. So I'm, I'm glad Austin has warned you not to do that. We, but we do enjoy the white elephant thing. It's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it a lot. And I have a few Star Wars things that I'm going to probably be bringing so that, you know, um, Tom will have a, a need to, to come to the, to the Christmas party. Great. Well, I am sitting this morning, so there's a change. Here's the reason why. So if you guys have to sit for 40 minutes and listen to me, maybe I should relate to you and sit for 40 minutes as well. How's that? <laughs> So I, I mentioned to Tom, I said, I think the next time I'm going to come down off of here and be on the floor so that I can just relate to you one-on-one. -on -one. But, you know, that, that may be or may not be. Um, so anyway, there are notes for this morning. If you uh, haven't got a set, uh, maybe you know, somebody can run back there and pick some up. Because, um, you know, one of the things I do with these notes is, is this. There are fill-in-the-blanks so that you can keep tracking with what's going on. But there are also some discussion questions. And, and I do these so that you have an opportunity to, to be thinking about what we're talking about here throughout the week. And, uh, and then on the back, we provide the verses so that you can you know, follow along with that, be re remember what we talked about. And so here we go. Um, thank you. Austin's passing some out. That's good. Thank you very much. Um, I see some are being passed to the back, onto the, onto the platform stage back there with the tech group so that they, that they get a chance to participate. <laughs> All right, so um, unbelievable. This is the 15th week in the series. 15 weeks. It's our 15th message. Um, <clears throat> what occurred to me this week was simply this. I wonder if we have really absorbed what we've been talking about. Um, and so I started doing the same thing. I started thinking, well, what have I really learned after being in these five chapters for 15 weeks? Um, you know what I think would be fun? is if I were to say, okay, why don't you just break down into groups of three or four, and why don't you share with what you've learned. And uh, so 
no, I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> you have to listen to me for 40 minutes. Um, however, the word understanding was the one that came to my mind. There's lots of things we have in life, and you know, sometimes we don't understand those things. So after five chapters of 1 Peter, do we understand what he's talking about? And, and we're going to try to do a little bit of that this morning, kind of capture it back. However, I want to begin with a story this morning. This is a story that helps us on understanding. This one's called The Understanding, The Meaning of Life. Probably some of you have gone along and gone along and still haven't figured out what the meaning of life is. So here we go. This is the, the meaning of life. On the first day, God created the dog. God said, sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone or anything that walks past. And I'm going to give you a span of 20 years to do that. To which the dog said, hmm, that's too long to be barking. Give me 10, and I'll give you back the other 10. So God agreed. On the second day, God created the monkey. God said, entertain people. Do monkey tricks. Make them laugh. I'll give you a 20-year span to do that. The monkey said, uh-uh, monkey tricks are for 20 years? Don't think so. So the dog gave you back 10, I give you back 10. So I'll, I'll do what you're saying for 10 years. So God agreed. On the third day, God created the cow. Okay, this one's close to my heart because obviously I'm a farmer background. So God told the cow, you've got to go to the field the farmer all day long, and suffer under the sun, have calves, give milk, support the farmer. And I will give you a lifespan of 60 years to do that. The cow said, that's kind of a tough life. You want me to live for 60 years? Um, let me have 20. I'll give you the other 40 back. So God agreed. On the fourth day, God created man. God said, eat, sleep, play, marry, enjoy your life. I'll give you 20 years. To which man said, mm, that's not enough. Um, I'll take the 40 years with slave in the sun from the cow, and I'm going to take another 10 years that you got back from the dog and another 10 years that you got back from the monkey. God said, okay, that's 80 years, so you got a deal. So here's the meaning of life. So the, for the first 20 years, we eat and sleep and play and enjoy ourselves. The next 40 years, we slave in the sun, and we, some of us support a family, try to work toward retirement. The next 10 years, if we're married, we have kids, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And now you're wondering, what do I do with the last 10 years? I sit on the porch and I bark at anything that moves or comes my way. There's the meaning of life. How's that? The question I have this morning is, do we understand what Peter was saying in five chapters? 
We've been at it for 15 weeks, and I thought, well, that's a good one. Peter wants us to understand something. That's on his heart. And I think it's a real serious thing that he wants us to understand about. Because you and I, we are living in a world full of hurt, in a world that can be very hurtful to us. And do we understand how to deal with that hurt? Peter tells us, suffering and grace and glory, the soon coming Savior of Jesus Christ, that's the things to keep on the front lobe and in our hearts in a daily life. Salvation, that's the first one. You know, think about it. We have an amazing, a great salvation. I've been really digging into that lately. The gospel is an amazing thing. For me, one of the things I've made a mistake on, I think, in my life is that I kind of thought the gospel is this one and done thing. That's the day that you receive Christ, and, you know, so then you just go on with life after that. And, uh, and I began to recognize here within the last several months, that's not true. The gospel is something that is part of our lives every day because the gospel talks about the love of Jesus talks about the grace of Jesus, things that you and I need to get along in life so that one and done doesn't work. It's a great, great salvation, something we do every week. <clears throat> Most of our house churches, we break bread. We remember our salvation. Grace. We need grace to go on, to stand firm, and to rejoice. We're going to talk about that this morning. And then glory. His return, it's sure, and that gives us hope. It's based on God's promise, not the world's premise. Based on God's promise, not, God, not the world's premise. So when Peter closes out this letter, he has a challenge for us to understand today. It's all about standing. It's all about standing firm. That's what he's been trying to say for the five chapters that we've been going through for the last 15 weeks is, you know, I don't want you to cut and run. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to try to get out away from everything. I want you to stand firm for Jesus Christ. And that's what we're supposed to understand this morning. Okay, I'm going to read. We're going to keep coming back to the word understand, so I want you to pick that up. But we're going to read First Peter 5, 8 through 14, and then we'll jump into three aspects this morning of standing. So, Peter says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, crawls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. There's that first one, firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kind of suffering has been experienced by your brothers and sisters, brotherhood throughout the world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. By Silvanus, this is verse 12, 
a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who's at Babylon, likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, just so you know, I'm not going to deal with that line this morning, okay? If you want to talk to me about it afterwards, that's fine. And if you want to know what kiss of love is, you can talk to either Chris or Tom. They'll explain that one. But the last line is really critical. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, in case you didn't know, Peter is a southerner. If you look in the Greek, the Greek says, peace to y'all who are in Christ. So there you learned something this morning. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into this. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, this morning that you are here. And you're asking us to join us, join you, in learning about this whole important aspect of standing firm. Maybe this morning, Lord, some of us are feeling fearful about the future, anxious about the future. Don't know what's going to happen. The Middle East, Ukraine, there's just different places in the world that are just befuddling to us as far as what is going on. But more than anything else, Lord, you are here with us. And we don't need to be fearful. We can be fearless. Help us to learn that this morning and understand how to be fearless. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what's the best hope for a hurtful world? Peter's answer is stand firm in your faith, verse 8. Stand firm in God's work, 10 through 11. And stand firm in God's grace, 12 through 14. So those are the verses we're going to look at. Peter opens these verses by saying, be sober-minded, be alert, be watchful. Don't let your guard down. Don't go to sleep at the wheel. Don't take your eyes off the road. I think you understand what he's trying to say. Keep your shields up. You can rest, but make sure you have one eye open. <laughs> and you can do this by standing firm, because he's going to tell us how that happens. So the first part of your notes there, stand firm in faith. That's verse 8. Stand firm in your faith. Join the long line of heroes from the Scripture. And they are a long line. Noah, Moses, Abraham, Joseph, David, Nehemiah, Ezra, Peter, Paul. Need I say more? Don't need to. You and I have the privilege of joining in those ranks. And they were great men, and there was great women of God who were following, and they stood firm. For some, it cost them their life. And that could be in the case with us, too, as well. But we don't need to fear that. God wants us to have a fearful, not a fearless approach to life. So the first point here in verse 8 is really kind of critical. Peter draws our attention to something that we might easily forget or maybe we're not even aware of. That something is someone who we need to be very, very aware of. He's not friendly to your faith. We need to be wary of him. 
Most of this letter is focused on the followers of Jesus, you know, who are interacting with non-believers living around them. People who would reject them, people who would deride them, people who would criticize them, etc. But in verse 8, Peter brings up someone that is not so readily apparent because you really can't see him. And he's talking about the devil. That's someone, he says right there, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You can't see him, but he's around. He's making noise, but you can't see him. I don't know if any one of you have been like, you know, I have. There's been times when I've made a mistake in life, and I just suddenly hear this voice that says, you stupid idiot. You're a real loser. And I, I go, where did that come from? Where did, where, what was the source of that? And, and I think sometimes that's Satan just playing mind games. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's making noise. He's, he's, he's not there in your face like your neighbors and friends, but he's certainly just as intimidating. Whisper in your ear. He can call you names that are debilitating. The Bible calls him an accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. That's not in your notes, so you can just put it down if you want to look at it later. Revelation 12, 10 through 12. So how do we stand firm against him? Peter said, stand firm in the faith. Just like Jesus did, and don't forget this, just like Jesus did, use the word. Use the word. I think that might be in your notes. Stand your ground to combat his names that come back with God's names. Here's a little sheet that I've used in my, in my past, and this is really pretty cool. Satan can call you all kinds of names, loser, idiot, stupid, and, and, and we probably have heard some of those things come out. But let me read you what God thinks about you. I am. That's me. I am the salt of the earth. I am light of the world. I am a child of God. I am part of the true vine. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. Wow. I'm a son of God. <clears throat> I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I am a temple of God. I could go on and on. If you want a copy of this, see me afterwards and I can, I'll ship it to you. I'll give it to you. That's the way to fight Satan. By coming back and saying, you know, you think that about me, this is what God thinks about me, and I'm going to go with what God tells me I am, not what you think I am. You don't have my best interests at heart. God does. God does. So in dealing with the devil, <clears throat> go back to the word. Don't try to fight him on your own. That's not going to fly. Here's two things that I think you need to appreciate about working with Satan, okay? One is don't underestimate him, and another one is don't overestimate him either. Underestimating him is really kind of critical, guys. Realize he's been around a long time. He's perfected his craft he really knows what he's up to, and he knows how to mess with you. He's not God, but he can really mess with you. So don't underestimate him. 
but don't overestimate him either. He's already beaten. He's a has-been. Now, I laugh at this because, you know, Peter brings this up that he's a roaring lion. How many of you know how the pride works, a lion pride works? Anybody? Well, good. Uh-oh. We got two in the front, so they're going to come up here and explain that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Do you know who the roaring lion is? The roaring lion is the old toothless bugger that's lost his ability to hunt. So all he can really do is sit back there in the grass and go, Roar! and scare the prey. And so they run out, and then the young pups and bucks, they run out and go get the, they get the, the elk and all the other stuff that they're after. So when Peter calls him a roaring lion, that's not a real good compliment for Satan. <laughs> I love it. He's the old toothless member of the pride. So, he can roar and scare and intimidate, but he's a has-been. Don't fear him. Resist him. Stand firm using the word. Understand? Okay. There's one of the things that we need to do to understand. Now, Peter says, let me remind you of one important truth as we leave verse 8 going into verse 9. And the point and the truth is, is simply this. You and I are not alone. You and I are not alone. Look at the last part there. Verse 9 says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers. Brotherhood, but brothers and sisters throughout the world. You know what I call that? I call that my support group. I call it my support group. I have support group worldwide. I have met followers of Jesus in Scotland. I've met them in England. I've met them in France. I've met them in Germany. I met them in Canada. God's got his people everywhere. And they're part of your support group. That's a pretty cool thing. You guys here are all part of my support group. I should never feel alone. Never. Never, ever feel alone. Because I have the Andrews and the Toms and the Janelles and the, and the and Chris's and I have, you know, the Ruth's and, and I really have one great one. She's on the back row over there. I've been married about 50-some years to her, but, you know, she's really a great support. But some of you, you know, I've only known a couple years and you're my support group. We don't do this alone. We don't do the Christian life alone. But all of us are dealing with suffering. All of us are dealing with issues in our lives. And we're here for each other. Never forget that. Our support group is alive and well. <laughs> Number two, stand firm in God's work. Oh, this is a great set of verses here. Really, really, it is. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you with his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you to be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Stand firm in God and his work. Stand firm in God. God is alive and he's at work. Stand firm in his work. 
Yes, you and I are going to experience suffering. It's only for a little while. But we can stand firm. And we can rejoice in it, but not at it. That's a really important thing, you know. It's not exciting to be, well, Lord, oh, I'm so glad you brought this into my life. It's more like, you know, you're in it, and you can say, Jesus, there's a reason for it. You've allowed it, and I can rejoice in that. Because you know what? We know it won't last forever. And that's what makes it bearable. There is hope. God's hope. Why can we stand firm in this one? Because of God, who's the God of all grace, okay? And why? Because he is with us. He's Emmanuel. God of all grace. The three pillars of truth that Peter stands on here, suffering, grace, and glory, Peter hammers on these truths constantly through all the five chapters. So as he closes his letter, he calls us to attention to that faithful God, the God of all grace. If we want someone to go through suffering with us, you know, guys, I'd rather have the God of all grace doing that. Not just partial grace, not just little grace, all grace. Isn't that amazing? The God of all grace. Because it's His grace. His grace saves us. His grace brings eternal glory. His grace brings salvation by His Holy Spirit. Drawing us, wooing us, convincing us that God is the one and only source of truth in the universe. And we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. I was, I was really blessed a couple of weeks ago when I was reading Jeremiah 31. Here's where, this is what the word says. I have called you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you to myself. And I thought about that and meditated on that for a while. And then I thought, oh, wow, here's an interesting thing. God did not drive me to himself. God drew me to himself. God didn't drive me to himself. He's a shepherd that's not behind the sheep. He's a shepherd that's out in front of the sheep. That's how it really works over in Israel. The shepherd is at the front. In America, we drive things, but not in Israel. They lead things. God led me to himself way back in the 60s, okay? He didn't drive me. He drew me. Don't forget that. He's the God of all grace, not partial, okay? That grace is multifaceted. Here's what I wrote down here. It has many sides to it. And so God's grace can meet you wherever it's needed, whenever it's needed, and however it's needed. You will never lack. God's grace will be there wherever you need it, wherever you need it, and however you need it. An understanding part about grace that the Lord has just really shown me the last couple of weeks, and which has really been good, and that is simply this. That is, um, God's grace is not necessarily meant to get you out of a jam. That's how oftentimes we think about it. But God's grace, in other words, I, God, get me out of this neighborhood, get me out of this bunch of people who are calling me names and deriding me and doing all kinds of stuff. That's not what God's grace is for. God's grace is meant this way. 
It is to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What does that mean? This is really an interesting set of four things. Restore. It literally, in the Greek, says mend the nets. Mend the nets. So Peter, the fisherman, is going back to an illustration from his, his history, from his life. Mend the nets. Make the nets so they're usable again and so that they have a purpose and go fishing. So Jesus, Jesus does this. He helps mend the net of my life so that I find the purpose for which I was born. Catching fish. That's what we're here for. God's grace helps us discover and enact his life purpose for us. Understand? Confirm. I, there's a couple of us in this room who have been through what we call confirmation. That was in an old denomination that I was in. And I, I spent weeks and weeks going to class to be confirmed in the church in which I was attending. My parents were attending. So we were learning how to take notes on sermons. Aren't you glad we don't do that here? My gosh, I had to write three or four pages of sermons every every week and give it into the pastor and then he would read all of those. So um, I don't know what that was for. I have no idea. <laughs> I just, but I just did it. I went to class and I learned how that church functioned and all that stuff. But that's not what we're talking about here. Confirmation. So restore, confirm. What's we talking about? Literally to fix. Make something hold fast. How do I do that? I do that by the Word of God. I stand firm by the Word of God. I read it, and I read it, and I read it. I take it in. I meditate on it. And a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Obey. Psalm 111, verse 10. Put that in your notes because I didn't put it in there. So there you go. You can write that in. Psalm 111, verse 10. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. That's how your life will hold fast. If you don't have any kind of an anchor other than that, you will drift. Strengthen. Literally, just as it says, make strong. How do we do that? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That's what the verse says. But you know what? I was just recognizing the other day, I was thinking about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, how am I strong? That's by telling you how I'm weak. Because then I am strong in the Lord. And that's just an, that's really an oxymoron. That's weird. So, I am to boast in my weaknesses so that God's power, God's strength is obvious to others around me. I don't want to go through life trying to stand firm on my own because that's not going to work. But if I go through life standing firm on God, then that strength is going to be available and, and people are going to see that. Wow, this person's strong. Right. But strong in God, not in myself. There's a lot could be said with that one, but I'm not going to go there this morning. The last one, establish. <clears throat> Literally means just settle, put in place, lay a foundation. If you lay a good foundation for your faith journey, you'll express being, you'll experience being settled. You'll experience being settled. It's a peace-filled life. We're going to come back to that at the end this morning. Understand? Okay. God's grace ensures that you and I have the ability to stand firm not meant to remove us from the suffering, but rather to stand firm in the suffering. Here's a, a line that came from a friend of mine this past week, or two weeks ago. 
God's grace is meant to animate and empower change, transformation in our lives. That's what God's grace is for. It causes us to put our roots down and to stand firm. Not to run, not to shy, not to hide. God's grace is meant to animate and change, empower change, transformation in our lives. That, I can say, is truly beginning to happen with my life. I am I'm not like I was about a year ago. And, and so next week, I think I'm going to start sharing some of that self-awareness with you, what God's been doing in my life. And so, uh, you know, I know next week you guys are going to want to come right back here and get prayed for before finals, right? Mm-hmm. But some of us have a final every day of our life. Right, Austin? Right, Sarah? Yeah, every, every day is a, a final for us. So, you know, get over it. And you know what's interesting here? Is the last part of that verse says, to him be dominion forever and ever. The result is worship. For the God of all grace, using his mighty power and grace to make and shape us is to be more like him. Yes, his dominion, let me just read this one because I, I wrote this out. Yes, his dominion is what we long for, we stand for, and we worship for. Because we're able to stand firm and we give him the great thanks out of our hearts. Understand? I hope you understand. So you understand, stand firm in the faith. Understand, stand firm in God's work. He's doing it in your life. He's changing you. He's changing me. So now we come to the last three verses of the letter. And they're kind of interesting. <laughs> because up until this point, if you're, if you're a Greek scholar, you know, man, this, whoever's writing this has got a great command of the Greek language. Suddenly in verse 12, it shifts. And here's what happens. Got it up there? Maybe not? Okay. <laughs> By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, and I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. She who is at Babylon, likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be all to you who are in Christ. That is a change. And so we know at this point, Peter took up the pen grabbed it from Sylvanus and said, I'm going to write this personally for you. Um, okay. So verse 12 jars us into reality. This is where it gets personal. He begins his conclusion. So he's putting aside all the personal things he's going to talk about this point. Stand firm. Stand firm. So let me read exactly what I think you need to hear from this one. He spent five chapters exhorting and testifying, witnessing to a very important truth. Suffering is part of our faith journey. Suffering is part of God's will. But we can endure suffering through the sustaining power of God and suffering rests on the truth of the hope that we have in Christ and his return. Suffering. Grace. Glory. This is the true grace of God. That is what Peter now starts, uh, calls our attention to. Stand firm in the truth, in the true grace of God. I really meditated on this a lot. I was going, what, what's he talking about, the true grace of God? And then it, it occurred to me, if there's a true grace, there's probably a false grace. 
The true grace of God focuses on God. It's all about God. God, through his grace, is my total source of salvation, source of wisdom, source of power, source of strength, my everything. False grace, on the other hand, focuses on me. It's all about me. I'm on the throne. I call the shots. I rely on, my, on me for salvation, wisdom, power, growth, everything. That has sadly been a lot of my life over the past 10 to 20 years. I'm not proud of that. But I am so grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for showing me the true grace of God over the last several weeks and months. I'm beginning to catch it. Not totally yet, but I'm getting it. I wrote down here, false grace will never give you what you need to do to stand firm. True grace will, but false grace will not. I have failed many, many times over because of standing on false grace. So center your life on the true grace of God. Stand firm. Stand firm. So this morning we've encouraged to understand Stand firm in your faith. That's the word. Stand firm in God, in his work. Stand firm in God's grace. That's your orientation. You need to be oriented to God, not yourself. If you understand these truths, you're going to be able to withstand the attacks of a hurtful world and stand firm in hope. One final thought this morning, that's from that last line, which says, you know, peace be to y'all, okay? So there's my southerner. Peace be to y'all in Christ Jesus. Peter says, peace be. Peter, the southerner, says, peace be. He began his letter with peace, and he ends his letter with peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, and now he closes with the benediction of peace. Peace was important. So why is peace so important? Because peace, I think, folks, is one of those Christian qualities that the world hungers for, thirsts for, aches for, but it's beyond their grasp. They're out there grabbing for peace, but it's just beyond what they can get. Without God, when the trials and suffering come their way, they lose hope. But to those of us who are in Christ's peace, oh my gosh, come on, amazing. Never beyond our grasp. It's always there. So when trials and sufferings come our way, we discover hope. We experience hope. We grow in hope because we see the light at the end of the tunnel and we trust the Lord Jesus to get us there. He gives us the peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4, 6. The world can't figure that out, but they can sure see it and they want it, but they'll never get it. But you and I, if we have the peace of God in ourselves, we can feel it. So Peter says in closing, peace be all to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Stand firm in God's peace. One little thought came to me this morning, and that's from, I think, verse 9, I think it is. It says that, um, talks about the call. He made a call to eternal life in Christ and you know what I thought about? I, and I didn't bring my cell phone up here. But you and I, we all have cell phones. Everybody got a cell phone? Yeah, okay. There's one right there. So when you get this call on your cell phone, what's the first thing you do? You pick it up and you look to see who it's from. 
And you either answer it or you don't answer it. Now, scam likely, we don't answer that one, you know. Told my wife to quit dating that guy because he keeps calling all the time on our cell phones. But on the serious side of that, think about this. Jesus comes calling. When you pick it up, have you picked it up? Have you picked up that call? That call is a call to eternal life. Wow. That's not one that you want to ignore. Not at all. If they're in this morning, if you're here and you've never made that, you've never answered that call, perhaps this morning Jesus is nudging your heart. Perhaps this morning Jesus is drawing your heart. Folks, if that's the case and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, heed that call. Don't put that phone down. Say, Jesus, I want you. So let's pray. God, this morning, we are, we are really grateful for, wow, an amazing five chapters of understanding how to take a stand for you. Because that's the best representative we can be of Jesus Christ, is to stand firm. Help us to understand even greater, Lord, about these five chapters and not just walk away from here and in 20 minutes forget what was said. In, in, in an hour, forget what was said all semester. Lord, I pray, God, that, if, that we would listen. We would understand how to stand firm in your faith with your word. Understand how to stand firm in your work in our lives. How to understand to take, stand firm in your true grace. And Lord, we just pray these things in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.